Hello there, friends. This is Spencer Michelle, and welcome to your weekly astrology forecast for the week of June 29th through July the 5th. Busy week in the sky. Um, we are going to talk about some of the fixed stars uh, that we've been exploring. Um, I'm going to do something new this week and share, hopefully it works, uh, I'm going to share a program called Starry Night Pro where we're going to look at the sky together and see how some of the constellations um, match up with the ecliptic and the planets and get a little bit more of a visual representation of the sky. That's one of the projects that I've been working on lately is trying to uh, embrace the physicality of and the visual nature of the sky and reconnect with that and reconnect with some of the mythology behind um, the zodiac and the planetary placements and the constellations that we are basing a lot of our um, modern assumptions on. Because I think in the tradition, um, astrologers were, were expert astronomers and they had a very important connection with the actual visible sky. And this is something that has, has been inspiring me um, through Bernadette Brady's work and through, uh, you know, things like Hamlet's Mill, like I showed you last week. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes with Mercury retrograde here. Um, in the sky this week, though, we have uh, on Tuesday, the 29th, uh, Jupiter retrograde is going to be conjoining Pluto, which is also retrograde at 24 degrees of Capricorn. Um, so this is a, re a repeat of uh, an aspect that we had earlier in the year um, around April, the beginning of April, I believe, when everything started shutting down. And this is something that um, we may be seeing some of those themes come back. I know that as I'm recording this on Friday, uh, the, oh, what is, what is today? The 25th, 26th? I don't know, something like that. <laughs> um, many, many states are starting to see spikes in the coronavirus and talking about perhaps putting more restrictions in place again. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of try to break that down. Mercury is going to be uh, sextiling Uranus this week from nine degrees of Cancer to nine degrees of Taurus. Um, and then it is going to be making its inferior conjunction to the sun at nine degrees of Cancer on Tuesday the 29th as well, uh, where it is called its Kazemi moment or the rebirth of Mercury. It's going to be conjoining the fixed star Alhina. So we'll talk about some of the symbolism associated with that. On Wednesday, July the 1st, uh, the sun is going to be making a sextile to Uranus at 9 degrees of Cancer and Taurus, respectively. And then our good friend uh, Saturn is going to be retrograding back into the sign of, Can of Capricorn, Capricorn, back into the sign of Capricorn. And we'll talk about the Four of Pentacles a little bit and what that means is Saturn is rejoining up with uh, Jupiter and Pluto and then opposing the sun and Mercury this week. And then, not to be outdone, on Sunday, July the 5th, the moon is going to be making its opposition to the sun at 13 degrees of Capricorn and Cancer, respectively. And this will be a full moon lunar eclipse. So this is close to the nodes. So this will be one of our important lunations of the year where we're seeing the kind of culmination of a lot of the energy that started at the last uh, eclipse at the new moon solar eclipse. So we'll try to break that down and see what energy is, is leaving the world here. And, and um, we'll talk about the symbolism with the fixed star Vega, um, which is very closely aligned with where the moon will be. Um, so yeah, let's, let's look at our charts here and see what we've got. 
and uh, I'm going to go over the planetary condition first, and then we'll talk about constellations and fixed stars as we go through our week. So what we're seeing here, and, and as if you were following along with me in the last week or so, I'm doing a little bit more of an expanded um, essential dignity report where I'm talking about not just the, the dignities, but the, the condition of the planet overall and some of the aspect relationships that it is experiencing from other planets, just to give more of a, I would say, a, uh, a more holistic viewpoint of what's going on with that planet and the conversations that it is having with other planets in the sky. Because remember, the ancient astrologers in the Hellenistic system were thinking of the planets as, as deities that were having conversations in like a cosmic courtroom or in a city structure bearing witness and testimony to the life of the natives here on Earth. So we'll start off this week with thinking about the sun. And the sun is at starting off at seven degrees of Cancer, conjoined with the fixed star Merzims. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that. Merzims is the announcer in the constellation of uh, the dog, Canis, Canis Major. So we'll, we'll break that down. Um, and it's going to be moving to 14 degrees of Cancer, and we're going to be moving into a new decan this, this week um, where we have an association with the Three of Cups. The sun is peregrine in the sign of Cancer. It'll be moving through the terms of Venus from 7 to 13 degrees, and then the terms of Mercury from 13 to 19 degrees. Uh, we can see here at the beginning of the week, if I look at just to one chart here, that we are going to have a co-presence with the Sun and Mercury as it moves into its Kazemi moment. It is now that Mars is in the sign of Aries, there is an overcoming square to the Sun and Mercury. Okay, so that is a challenging position. Um, from Mars to the Sun. That's kind of Mars is harming the Sun. And then we're seeing an opposition with the Sun and Mercury with Jupiter and Pluto that are coming into a conjunction at 24 degrees of Capricorn. Now, Saturn's going to be joining the party uh, and retrograding back into the sign of Capricorn as well. And bringing this experience of potentially limitation, opposition, and hardship to our solar energy and our mercurial energy this week. So um, a lot of action in the sky, a lot of difficult placements. Um, we'll try to break it down and see what it means for the collective. But uh, just one last thing that we wanted to talk about with the sun is the sun is hosted by the moon this week. And the moon is starting out uh, in the first qu quarter phase with a square, and it will be waxing to the full moon. So we always kind of have to see what the condition of the moon is whenever we have planets in the sign of Cancer, because that is going to inform what we're doing. So we may feel this week like we're building towards something, that we're trying to bring something to fruition, uh, that we are trying to build uh, a new form of nurturing, a new form of trying to figure out how we are best supported in the world. And um, this may be building in this eclipse cycle uh, to something where we may feel like we need to let go of something so that we can move forward with nurturing as a collective. Okay, 
So let's move on to Saturn. So Saturn this week will begin in the sign of Aquarius at zero degrees Aquarius, where it is in its own domicile. It is the triplicity ruler of the air signs by day. It is retrograde in motion, and it will be in the terms of Mercury from zero to seven degrees of Aquarius. It is receiving a sextile from Mars in Aries. Um, Saturn is in the overcoming position. So Saturn is kind of bearing down on, on Mars. So kind of restricting our, our actions when it is in Aquarius. Um, but this is a harmonious conversation between these two. Okay, the sextile here. But we are moving into a difficult conversation when Saturn moves back into the sign of Capricorn. Um, in Aquarius, Saturn is in its own domicile still. It is the, the diurnal domicile of Saturn. And it will also be giving a, uh, a trine to Venus in Gemini. So there is a, a harmonious conversation going on between Saturn and Venus in the very beginning of the week, but that relationship is going to go into a version when Saturn moves into the sign of Capricorn. Okay, so that's what's going on when we have Saturn in Aquarius. Now, if I move my chart, or if we look at the two charts here and we see Saturn in the sign of Capricorn, okay, some of the relationships change. Saturn retrograding back into Capricorn is still going to be in its own domicile, but this is a different temple. This is the nocturnal temple. This is the cardinal earth temple of Saturn rather than the fixed air temple. So we're moving back into the terms of Mars from 26 to 30 degrees. We're going to be making a co-presence and a conjunction eventually. Um, well, I don't know if it's a conjunction. It's not within that three degree um, orb yet, but it will be co-present. So it is sitting at the table or at the same estate as Saturn, or I'm sorry, as Pluto and Jupiter. So this is another conversation that becomes much stronger, the conversation between Saturn, Pluto, and Jupiter. Um, and we saw this configuration at the beginning of the year um, when Saturn and Pluto came together and when we started to see all the really severe contractions in, that went on in society due to the coronavirus. So we're seeing a repeat of some of that, so those significations. And as I've been saying for a few weeks now, um, we're not done with coronavirus. We're not even done with wave one here. We, we never really were. We've, we've been having this kind of false sense of security with Neptune and Mars uh, conjoining where we have this this uh, illusion and this fantasy of what we want things to be and people in power are telling us to kind of ignore things and to slow down testing and things of that nature. And, you know, some people are wearing masks and some people are, you know, citing their personal freedoms to not wear a mask. And all of it is leading towards more coronavirus cases and more contraction. And the contraction this time is probably going to be more severe due to the square that we have now from Mars. So this is something where we're going to be seeing um, some real difficulty moving through the summer. The last time we had all of this starting, we had a trine from Venus in Taurus to all of these Capricorn planets. And now the, the, the planet that's in the driver's seat here is Mars and Aries. So um, 
you know, in the beginning of the, the shutdown, everybody was cooking and things, you know, things like that. Not everybody was, was having a great time, but there was maybe a little bit more of a grace that came along with this. And now as we move back into this condition again, I think in the summer, people are pretty tired of being in lockdown. Um, you know, they've been trying to do some of some people have been trying to do the hard work of protecting their communities. And now we may have some conflicts because we have uh, some other folks out there that aren't doing that hard work and that are maybe acting from a more self-centered perspective. And there's going to be a lot of conflicts that arise um, between people who are, you know, trying to do the hard work or in the folks that are, you know, talking more about their personal freedoms. So I, you know, and everybody's restless. I think that's the other thing. The people who have been doing the, uh, the more community-based actions are probably getting restless and fed up with the folks that aren't. I know that that's something that uh, personally I'm getting frustrated with as, as a family that's been, you know, masking up wherever we go and really isolating ourselves pretty, pretty severely and, and, you know, giving up a lot of the activities that we've been, um, you know, that we normally do. It is frustrating to see a lot of folks in your community maybe not doing that and, and potentially moving through a, uh, a false sense of security and taking actions that might cause us to repeat some of these things. Now, being an astrologer, you see some of these things coming and you kind of dig in for the long haul, knowing that this whole thing is probably, we're not going to get relief from all of this until at least the end of the year. So that's kind of the perspective I've been taking that's, caught, that's helping me to not like get as, as frustrated or angry because I know that this social distancing that we're experiencing is, um, like I said, it's going to be something that is going to be part of the rest of our year. And speaking of being part of the rest of the year, Mars is going to be in Aries for the next six months. Uh, it's going to do a retrograde in the, in the summer, uh, but part of the, the biggest aspect that we're going to be experiencing now with Saturn, getting back to the planetary condition report, is, is this square between Saturn and Mars. And this energy is kind of like, you know, this frustration of wanting to take action, of having all this energy and know, know what, nowhere to go with it, nothing to do with it. And we have this kind of like headstrong, you know, blind rage type of energy that is being held in check by Saturn and Capricorn. And Saturn is in the overcoming position. Saturn has the upper hand right now. The, the feeling of limitation, the feeling of like, Driving with wanting to drive, but having one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake is going to be especially strong as we move into our summer. And we're going to have to learn how to deal with that because that's going to be part of our celestial conversation for the next six months. And it, we're not going to get relief from that until Saturn moves back into Aquarius on December the 17th. So that's a long, a long time. Our patience is going to be tested. Um, and all of the things that you have been doing to keep your sanity and to, uh, to keep yourself healthy and all the self-care things and all the patience, meditation types of things, th those are all going to become extra important as we move through the summer months. Okay. So Saturn also is going to be making an opposition to Mercury retrograde and Cancer, as well as being co-present with Jupiter retrograde and Pluto retrograde. So you know, it's going to be creating a sense of limitation for many of our 
celestial players. A lot of the actors in the sky are going to be feeling the weight of Saturn as he moves retrograde in his nocturnal domicile. All right, so let's move forward to Jupiter. I wish the news was better with Jupiter, but it really isn't. Jupiter is going to be starting out at 24 degrees of Capricorn. Um, it is going to be making that conjunction with Pluto at 24 degrees. Um, it is in its fall in the third decan of Capricorn and in the whole sign of Capricorn in general. It's in the terms of Saturn from 22 to 26 degrees. So it is following Saturn's rules. Saturn is setting the curriculum for Jupiter right now. And that curriculum is contraction. Excuse me, that curriculum is, is um, limitation. That curriculum is uh, paying attention to time and the celestial clock and, and seeing forms um, going out of existence. Um, this is kind of what Saturn is doing. That, you know, both Saturn and Mars are responsible for you know, death, decay, um, compost, comp you know, the kind of like, uh, you know, breaking things down so that we can have future growth, you know, in the, in the, the springtime that is to follow. But make no mistake that even though we're going through the summer months right now, we're going to be doing the dance of um, compost and, and decay. That's what's so hard about it. I've been thinking about this on a personal level, too, because, you know, in the summertime, you want to do some gardening, you want to go on vacation, maybe do something outside. And I've had a real struggle lately, like trying to figure out what kind of activities to do during the summer and having this, this, um, this real opposition of seeing, you know, things growing out in the world, but knowing that the specter of death is around every corner. And I think that that's the hard part of what we're experiencing right now is we see everything in bloom, we see everything blossoming, but behind the scenes, um, we have this danger and we have this, uh, we're being asked to kind of like separate ourselves from a lot of that life-giving, uh, you know, experience. And that's difficult. It's very hard. I, I empathize with, with all of you out there because I'm going through it myself and it is a real, it is a mind bender. Um, because our eyes are telling us that, wow, look at it's summer, things are in bloom. But the, you know, the other reality is showing us that there is definitely some precautions that are, be, that are necessary. Remember, Saturn was the planet of necessity and doing the things that, you know, we, we don't necessarily want to do, but we have to do to, to bring about redemption and bring about balance. It's kind of like bringing about balance back to the force. Um, I've talked about Saturn as being, you know, that planet of like the Shawshank Redemption where you may have to go to prison for a little while, but, you know, prison in its purest, I think, idealized form, maybe not in the form that we have in America today, but in, in the, ideally we remove people and we send them into isolation so that they can, you know, be redeemed eventually and can rejoin society. And I think that we have to think about Saturn like this. We're removing ourselves from society so that we can bring balance back to, to the force, so to speak, and then eventually rejoin it. And here's the thing. When you are in jail, you know, ideally, you will get out early for good behavior. Uh, but if you are not following the rules and you're causing all sorts of ruckus, 
um, you're not going to make your parole and you're not, you're not going to get out. You may even get something added to the sentence. And I think that's, that's how the experience is going right now. If we, if we had all followed the same strict um, things that were being asked of us of Saturn, we may have gotten early, out early for good behavior. But since we aren't, especially in our country here, we may be extending the sentence. And that's, that's tough. That's tough to come to terms with. Okay, let's, let's move forward. Uh, so Jupiter being in the terms of Saturn, conjoining Pluto, conjoining Saturn when it's in uh, Capricorn, it's going to be also receiving a square from Mars in, in Aries. Now, in this case, Jupiter is in the superior position to Mars. So Jupiter sort of has the upper hand. Now, in Hellenistic astrology, um, in this case, uh, Mars is going to be kind of sending rays back and harming Jupiter from the, uh, the position that is further along in the zodiac. So you can kind of think of this like Jupiter is uh, you know, in a car chase with Mars, and Mars is the bad guy that's out in front and shooting back you know, at, the, at the car that is behind it. So there is some kind of challenge, although we may be able to use our sense of hope, Jupiter, to overcome some of this anger, Mars. Okay, so that is one positive. Although the challenge that we have here is that Jupiter's host is Saturn. And it is in aversion to its host when it's in Aquarius, but is co-present with its host when it's in Capricorn. So remember, the reason why we say that Jupiter is in its fall, because one of the things that Jupiter likes to do is create growth and abundance. This is why one of the, the rationales for Jupiter having its exaltation in the sign of cancer. This is one of the times when life is abundant on the earth and things are growing and you know, everything is being born and growing and being nurtured. Well, during the wintertime, uh, during the time when the, the light is at its weakest, uh, this is when Saturn reigns. Saturn was the lord of darkness. And Jupiter is not comfortable in Saturn's, on Saturn's estate because, you know, Jupiter is trying to create, it's trying to create bridges, is trying to create unification on some level, is trying to make things grow. And all that's being provided for Jupiter right now on this estate are the tools of death, contraction, and decay. And that's, it's very difficult for Jupiter to do what it wants to do. All right. So let's move forward to Mars because Mars is, uh, last week we talked a lot about Mars. So if you want to deep dive into Mars symbolism, uh, go check out last week's weekly forecast. These forecasts are kind of long, but I'm trying to include a lot of different information. And instead of doing standalone videos, I, I kind of prefer to kind of do it in one long thing. And I've been trying to timestamp the different days for you. Um, maybe I'll break out some of this information into more evergreen content, but this is what we've got for now. So Mars is going to be in its own domicile. It is in its own face in the first decan of Aries as well. So it has a lot of power in this position. It's moving through the terms of Jupiter from zero to six degrees. So we just talked about Jupiter, but Jupiter's kind of calling the shots for Mars right now and setting the curriculum. So that's kind of an interesting relationship between the two. Um, Mars will be squaring the Sun and Mercury. OK, 
Okay, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about the condition of the sun. So this Mars right now is harming our, our sense of identity, our sense of uh, awareness, a sense of how we are receiving nurturing. Um, we may be, you know, I think this is another thing where we may be experiencing this summer is with the square to Mars to the sun, uh, it may be more difficult to, to get the resources and get the abundance that we're looking for um, throughout the summer. I know that a good friend of mine, Ann Ortley, has talked about the potential for food shortages over the course of the summer as some of the, the uh, supply chains start to break down as we move into more restrictive types of, uh, um, I don't know, environments and as, as our laws get a little bit more locked down because of the spread of the virus. So that is something to keep an eye on moving forward. Uh, Mars will be receiving a sextile from Saturn when it's in Aquarius, but then moving into that square relationship that we talked about when it moves into Capricorn. It's also going to be moving into the square with Jupiter, as we discussed with the condition of Jupiter. Um, Mars is in a sextile right now with Venus, so there is some positive relationship going on between Mars and Venus. So we may be having a lot of ideas and, lot of, and how to take action in reconciling some of our differences. So that, that may be one of the, the silver linings as we do have a harmonious relationship between Mars and Venus. So we may be saying, well, how do we take action to support some of the realizations that we came to of how we are different um, when Venus was retrograding um, back in the sign of Gemini? We're getting a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of awareness as to how um, we're separate, how we're different. And now that we are, we've gotten a, a, good, a, a good awareness of that, now we're moving forward and trying to reconcile those pieces and put them back together and unify and harmonize um, from that position. And, and Mars will be assisting in that conversation for a period of time. Mars is in its own domicile, in its diurnal temple. So it has all its own resources. It's a very strong Mars. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that Mars is going to be good, um, but generally Mars, uh, the, generally the malefic planets, uh, and I've seen different opinions on this, but the, the way that I think about it at this point is um, Mars is very strong. It has all the uh, tools that it needs to do to do Mars things. And Mars's essential nature is to take action. Uh, it's to cut, it's to sever, it's to separate, it's to express uh, anger, rage, uh, and hopefully that will bring about some kind of catharsis. So remember Venus being the planet of catharsis, we may be really able to express some of the things that we're unhappy about, and that might help bring about some catharsis that help bring us back into unity. Um, but, but Mars being in Aries, uh, when it is in good condition like this, it tends to be a little bit more consistent now, when we have Mars in, a, in its fall or in its exile, it, it tends to be a little bit more inconsistent in its actions and, and does not necessarily um, function as, um, oh, I don't know, predictably. Um, so that's one thing to consider with Mars right now. Now, that doesn't mean that Mars is going to be nice. This is a Mars where we, we are you know, able to take action, but we may have difficulty sustaining that, that action over a long period of time. Since this is a cardinal sign, we may be great at 
beginning things, but it, it's not as a, a sign of sustained effort over time. Now, Saturn may be uh, trying to uh, provide some of that longevity, but it's going to be through hardship. It's going to be through challenge and difficulty. All right, so that is what Mars is doing this week. Venus. Venus. Las Vegas. Venus, <laughs> Venus is going to be is direct in motion now. Which, hallelujah. Venus is direct, and that is some good news for the, for the week here. Um, it is peregrine in the sign of Gemini. It is being hosted by a retrograde Mercury in the sign of Cancer that's about to go Kazemi. It's a, in aversion to its host, which is challenging. Um, it is not able to, to see its host. You can see this with this relationship, this blind spot. So even though we kind of know, we've gotten an awareness of what separates us and we may have some better idea of what we want and what we desire, it still may be difficult to come to some consensus because its host, Mercury, is still not, uh, not strong right now. Um, but we may have a moment of, of like an aha moment when Mercury goes Kazemi into the heart of the sun and gets some illumination and gets some kind of a new karmic sea. Excuse me. Um, Venus will be in the terms of Mercury from zero to six degrees, and then the terms, it will move uh, into the terms of Jupiter from six to 12 degrees. It is receiving a sextile from Mars and Aries and a trine from Saturn in Aquarius at the beginning of the week, and then it will move out of that relationship. So if you need to have some tough conversations and relationships or need to reestablish some new boundaries and some new rules, um, do it earlier in the week because you'll have some support from Saturn, um, but you'll lose that support as we move forward in the week. Okay, Mercury. Mercury is going to be in the sign of Cancer, retrograding back into the first decan from the second decan. It does have some decanic rulership in the second decan between 10 and 20 degrees of Cancer. It will be in the terms of Venus from 7 to 13 degrees and then moving back into the terms of Mars from 0 to 7 degrees. So our conversations are going to get a little bit more difficult as it retrogrades back into those terms, into those malefic terms. Um, it will be Kazemi um, this week on, on Tuesday, the 29th. Um, it will be under the sun's beams before and after that moment. So it is kind of like in the beginning of the week, it's, it's very weak, like, like uh, somebody taking to their sick bed and then maybe getting the medicine that they need and then slowly coming out of the illness uh, with some kind of new mission. And we'll, we'll break that down in our weeklies. Um, Mercury is conjoined with the sun right now. It will be receiving an overcoming square from Mars. So our conversations may get heated up a little bit and we may feel some friction because of that overcoming square, it may be difficult to come to some kind of consensus. Our need for our individual needs versus how we are feel nurtured and, and create identity around that nurturing is, is at odds with uh, one another right now. And Mercury will also be receiving oppositions from retrograde Jupiter, retrograde Saturn, and retrograde Pluto and Capricorn. So again, we're going to be feeling... The, the weight of those limitations in this big cosmic no that is you know, making it difficult for us to, to move forward with commerce, which is represented by Mercury, with communications, um, 
you know, with our ability to uh, talk to one another, all these things. It's, it's a big cluster cuss in the sky right now. Mercury is also going to be hosted by that waxing moon in the first quarter that is moving to, to fullness. So we're going to see an increase in that lunar energy that's trying to provide for Mercury. Um, again, the, the moon, and we talk about the moon's condition this week, first quarter to the full moon lunar eclipse. Uh, it is peregrine in the sign of Libra. It's in its fall in the sign of Scorpio. It will have some dignity by face in the second decan of Sagittarius. And then it will move into its exile and have triplicity rulership by the nighttime in the sign of Capricorn. Um, the moon will enter the bond this week and then escape the bond on July the 6th, Monday, July the 6th at 29 degrees of Capricorn. It will conjoin retrograde Saturn and then square um, Mars and Aries. We're still in that kind of Bardot period with the moon between eclipses where things are struggling to take form. But I do think we're going to get a lot of clarity this week as to what is going to be required of us. Um, as I've said before, things are in the process again of being shut down again. You know, the news cycle has talked a lot about, you know, more outbreaks in different cities, a lot of them due to like people gathering in places like bars and restaurants. Um, and I just have a, a, a sneaking suspicion that we're going to see a repeat um, of a lot of the things we were experiencing at the end of March and the beginning of April. As much as it pains me to say it, but uh, that's what the astrology is saying, and that's kind of the, the, the zeitgeist that we seem to be moving towards as a collective. All right, so that is planetary condition. Now, let's move forward to our weeklies. And before I get to the weeklies, or in addition to the weeklies, I want to kind of show you something that I've been you know, fiddling around with. Excuse me. I'm going to stop my share for a minute here. And I am going to share a different program that I have called Starry Night Pro. And here you can see this is a program that shows us the sky. It shows us the, uh, the horizon line here. Okay. It shows us the ecliptic, the path of the sun across the sky. Okay. Which is sort of where we get some of our zodiacal meanings from. And then we have the celestial equator, which is the Earth's equator projected out into the sky. And these lines here, these grid lines here, actually show us the boundaries of the signs along the ecliptic. Now, this is something that I find very fascinating. This has been prompted by my work, um, by, by my studies of of Bernadette Brady's Fixed Stars book, and really this realization that I just don't have a thorough understanding of what is going on in the sky. And she's really showing me my ignorance as far as like constellations and some of the myths behind it and how the sky actually works and the importance of really um, reincorporating that into the way that we do our astrology. And I'm just finding it very fascinating. And I will preface all of this with saying that the astronomy part of it is something that I'm still in process with and I'm still learning. Um, I reserve the right to make a few mistakes when I'm doing this. And I'm sure there's some of you out there that have more knowledge in this area. And I will gladly um, acquiesce to your 
uh, superior knowledge. But, um, but I wanted to just show you a few things because this is, uh, there's some mysteries with this, but also some cool realizations. So we can see here on Monday, June the 29th, that the sun is moving through the sign of cancer. Okay, now you may say to yourself, well, look, the sign of cancer is over here. The, the constellation of cancer is over here. Okay, now this is very interesting because this is part of the, the, the debate that people have with what is called the tropical zodiac and the sidereal zodiac. The sidereal zodiac is more in alignment with where the constellations are, the tropical one with where the, the spring equinox point happens. We, we put zero degrees Aries at the spring equinox point with the tropical zodiac. We put it in the sign of Aries with the sidereal zodiac that we see with like things like Jyotisha or Vedic astrology. Now, visibly, this may give us a little bit of a, a conundrum when we're trying to unpack some of the mythological things, because one of the things, and I'll, I'll make a link to this video, but I've, there's a video by Bernadette Brady talking about visual astrology where she outlines some of the challenges with this, and, and she talks a lot about Mesopotamian astrology and how they observed the sky and, and made a lot of their predictions based on what was going on visibly. Um, and her argument is that we've lost a lot of this uh, a lot of this stuff, you know, basically what we're seeing here is we, we are losing everything down here and above it. And we're only really focusing on this ecliptical line, which is good. There's good stuff in that, in that ecliptical line. That's, it's not that those things are bad. Um, but we have all these other uh, symbols that we could use and we could add in. Now you can see that the planets follow the line of the ecliptic. So we've got Mercury, Venus, all staying very close to that ecliptical path, um, which is very neat. If you see this in the sky, uh, if you go out on a, on, a, you know, a, on a dark night, you'll be able to see them all kind of in this, uh, this path, the path of the sun. And this is because the, you know, all these planets are in our solar system and are, are kind of... Um, linked or chained to that sun and that solar movement, okay? Now, the fixed stars are sort of outside of this. They, they do not move as much as the planets do in relationship to this ecliptic, okay? So they are sort of fixed in their position. Now, one of the things that I've been trying to figure out or try to understand better is Bernadette Brady uses this concept of dealing with fixed stars called parans. And parans is the relationship of a planet and one of the angles. So we have these four angles. So if we're looking at this, you know, just like we would like a natal chart, okay, you can actually see that this would be the ascendant over here in the east where stars are rising. They culminate here in the south, which is the, the MC or the midheaven. And then they set over here in the west, which is our descendant. And then they, they're going to go down below here, okay, in the north, and that's our nadir. And it's that one big circle. So you could see that like these signs, if we're using whole sign, these are our signs of the zodiac, okay? And that's what these lines are doing in intersecting that ecliptic. So technically, 
in the tropical zodiac, we have the sign of Cancer right here because the sun right now is in the sign, the tropical sign of Cancer. But it is the sidereal, it is in the sidereal constellation of Gemini. So isn't that interesting? So you can see in the Vedic system that they will say that the sun is in Gemini right now because it is literally in the constellation of Gemini. So how do we mix those two things together? Well, one of the things that I've been trying to do is see about how the fixed stars are coming into relationship. Now, here is one way of dealing with fixed stars, and this is by ecliptical degree. So if we take our uh, little pointer here and we draw a line from the Earth okay, to the planet, okay, just like we have with these um, grid lines, okay, we can see that there is an alignment between like the fixed star Alhina at seven degrees of Cancer and where the sun is on the ecliptic. And Alhina is the heel of uh, Castor, one of the twins in the, in the constellation of Gemini. So the, we can say at the beginning of our week at seven degrees of Cancer, the sun is going to be conjoining on the ecliptical path, the heel of Gemini, Alhina, okay? Now, this is a little bit different as the way that Bernadette Brady would use fixed stars because let me get rid of my line here. Now, the way that she is using this, and this, I've been kind of doing some research to try to figure out what, what this really means, is she would say, when a planet is at an angle, so let's say the sun, for example, is rising. So if we look at our chart here, hopefully you can all, you can all see this very well. If I go back in time, all right, check this out. So I'm going to go back here and I'm going to look at the sun. Oops. So look what happens to the sun. I'm going to zoom out so you can see this a little better. So we're looking at the south here. Look what happens to the sun as we go back in time. Okay, go, to, go back to sunrise. Okay, the sun, you can literally see the sun rising in the east at about, you know, 6 a.m. or so. And as this is rising, what Bernadette Brady would do to, to figure out Perans would say, what fixed stars are on this angle here? Okay, so if we view and we get rid of our horizon line, what fixed stars are here on the horizon? Well, Alhina is going to rise with the sun, so that still works. So in Brady's system and in the uh, ecliptical system, it's, it's going to be kind of married together at this point because Alhina is rising with the sun. Now we could also say what stars are going to be at the midheaven if we're looking for Paran's relationships. Okay, and the midheaven is going to be somewhere around here. So we can see at this point, uh, let's see, what stars? Well, we've got a 
we have what? I'm trying to look for bright ones. I've got too many <laughs> right now. There's too many. Um, okay. We could say that like, uh, who is this here? This is the fish. Oh, I don't know. Well, we could say here we've got Hamel or Hamal is more at the closer to the midheaven when the sun is at the ascendant. Now, that may not, they may not be in exact parans, but I was just trying to look for an example. The other thing that Brady would do is say, what fixed stars are at the descendant? Okay, so where, what fixed stars are down here? Okay, what, are, what stars are setting as the sun is rising? So they would be in Paran relationship. So, for example, what have we got here? This is the constellation of Sagittarius. So we can look at, um, oh, I don't know. What is, the, what is the bright stars in Sagittarius? We've got Askela. We have... Uh, Albada would be setting. Albalda, would that be how you would say that one? So that star would be setting in the West as the sun was rising. So they would be in a Paran relationship. Okay, so where am I going with all this? Well, uh, I just find it interesting that there are these two different ways of thinking about how to use those fixed stars. And I have to be honest with you, it's kind of driving me nuts to try to figure out uh, how to use these correctly, okay? But what I do think is that I am seeing some correlations when we have a star that is um, in alignment with that ecliptical degree. Now, the problem with Parans that I have, and I don't know if it's necessarily a problem, it's just something that would be frustrating if I was trying to do a more universal type of, um, type of forecast, is that the Paran relationships change with different locations, different um, latitudes, okay? So where you may have one star rising with the sun in a certain location, uh, a different star would be rising in a different location. So, <laughs> and for mundane astrology, that might be very useful because you could look at all the fixed stars that would be rising in a certain location for like an eclipse or something like that. But for a universal horoscope where we have people listening all over the globe, it might not be as effective. So hopefully that's clear. I just think this is so neat though. I, I just like seeing the constellations drawn out here. And, and as I, I have these you know books that I've been telling you about, Bernadette Brady's book and also Hamlet's Mill that I'm kind of in the middle of reading, where we, they talk about how a lot of the world's mythology was just based on the movement of these planet, uh, planets and stars across the sky and, and their relationship to one another. And it's just very rich with symbolism. It's rich with story. Like, for example, you know, like here's, here's one thing. We have this constellation here called Cetus, which is the whale. And this is not like a whale like we've experienced, um, like a, a nice, friendly, gentle whale in our modern society. This is the, the whale of Jonah. Uh, which is swallowing, you know, swallowing Jonah into the, its belly and kind of the sea monster. This was also like the Kraken, if you're familiar with that story with, um, I believe it was Perseus and um, Andromeda who was chained to the rock 
So this is like the, everything that we keep uh, in our subconscious. And here we have this fixed star uh, at the mouth, Menkar, right? Okay. Now here's just an, an interesting example. I personally have the moon at 13 degrees of Taurus, or I mean the moon at 15 degrees of Taurus and, and midheaven at 13 degrees of Taurus. And this fixed star is in alignment with the ecliptical degree, 13 degrees Taurus. So it aligns here. So it, when I was born, the moon was sitting right here in the mouth of this whale. <laughs> like, and, I, and I was looking at this this week and I was like, that's really interesting. Um, and I was looking and burned at Brady's book and she talks about the moon being close to Menkar's being um, very subject to the collective unconscious and to being tossed about emotionally by the kind of the energy and the emotional energy of the collective. And that rang a lot of bells to me. Um, that there was a lot of recognition in that and just, you know, how personally I feel when society is, is in pain or when society is in, has joy. Um, it also, you know, kind of feels like it, it is a, it would be a boon as an astrologer to get in touch with kind of the, the collective, you know, the depths of the collective. And I believe Yet she also says that um, I'm going to read this for you because I just find it so fascinating. So, like the moon, it says uh, emotionally committed to or responsive to the needs of the collective, one's actions having far-reaching effects. Emotions run high in the general public. Okay, so this talks about the whale in the sky is symbolic of the human collective unconscious, for it is that like the erupt for. For it is that which can erupt like a beast from the deep. Uh, and this is associated with the unconscious forces in human culture and history, always physically out of sight and in the depths of the human collective. Uh, says this star's placement can be difficult. Uh, it, it is the sea of the collective that can be stormy for one to sail. So great, so a great deal would depend on the presence of other fixed stars in, this, in the chart. Positive expression lies in the potential to achieve something for the collective. Negative manifestation is vulnerability to becoming a victim of the collective. All right. So that's just one example that, uh, you know, and it, well, using my own experience as how we can flesh out some of the mythology. So you will see me over the course of the, you know, the weeks in, ahead here, hopefully trying to get you in touch with some of the sky here. So if we look and we move our chart just forward a little bit, a few hours, we can see that the sun is going to be rising, okay, over the southern, you know, it's going to be getting higher in the sky as we move forward and rising. And we, if we look south, if we're in the northern hemisphere, okay, and we can see that particular, that this week in particular, that's the sun is going to be conjoined by ecliptical degree to the heel of Castor in the constellation of Gemini. See that? Isn't that neat? Okay. So let's talk first about on Monday, the 29th, what we're going to be experiencing with the sun conjoining the heel of Castor. Okay. So, Alhina. Um, actually, before we get to Alhina, let's talk first about 
another ecliptical degree star that comes before this. I know I'm skipping around. I apologize for that. But here we have on the uh, this the sign of or, sorry the constellation of Canis, right? So we have Canis right here. This is a I believe this is Canis Major, the dog, right? And we have the Sirius and the the nose of the dog here, and we have Mersum, okay, right there at the paw, and that was the the announcer, okay. So we can see that if we look, this is where it gets a little hairy though, because we have Alhina very close to the ecliptic here, but we have Mersum all the way down here, like, and we really have to go a long distance to make the connection, but we are seeing that if we draw the line of the ecliptic all the way down here to the earth, Merzam is in conjunction at the same zodiacal degree as the sun. So let's talk about Merzam first before we talk about Alhina, okay? Because that's what we're going to be seeing on Monday, the 29th, okay? Uh, so Merzam's was uh, the announcer. And it was the announcer because it was the, the fixed star that rose before Sirius, the dog star, okay? So Sirius was very, very bright. It was very important in the ancient Egyptian uh, mythology as being sort of like enunciation of like of, of uh, the, the summer. It was one of the stars that rose at the summer solstice and kind of the comings of the floods of the Nile. So it was like the, the re return to life from the underworld. And we talked last week about Sirius mythology related to the Isis myth where she was trying to reassemble her, her, um, her husband Osiris um, so that she could uh, put him back together and like mate with him and, and then bear a son Horus and then eventually uh, Osiris returned to the un as the ruler of the underworld because he couldn't sustain life after being split into many pieces from uh, his, I believe it was her brother Set. Okay, so Merzims is the is the fixed star that that comes before Sirius. So this, according to Bernadette Brady, she talks about this being. Uh, a, the wish to speak, an announcement of some sort, some kind of bold public statement. So we may see on Monday, if we're trying to use fixed stars in our astrology, some, some bold public statement, some wish to, to make some kind of announcement that is coming before uh, a, an important idea. And we'll talk about that with Alhina, because Alhina is, is about promoting uh, some kind of special idea. So in the beginning of the week, before Tuesday, there may be some kind of pronouncement that goes out into the land that we get clarity on on Tuesday, but we'll start to get an inkling of this, okay? So I wanted to show you that first when we talked about Monday and the, and the fixed star Merzim. So I'm going to stop my share for just a second here, and I want to show you the chart, and we'll go back and forth between the chart and the sky so that we kind of get this relationship between the chart and the sky, because I really do think that this is very important to understanding um, our astrology a little bit better. Okay, now hopefully my computer will be, allow me to use all these programs simultaneously without, uh, <laughs> without giving me too much of a problem. So you can see Monday here, we have the sun rising and 
alhena rising with it at about seven degrees of cancer. I'm sorry, mirzims rising with, at seven degrees of cancer. Okay. Uh, we, the moon is going to be making a square to retrograde Pluto at 8.55 a.m. The moon is going to be squaring retrograde Jupiter at 9.02 a.m. from 24 degrees of Libra and Capricorn, respectively. At 6.47 p.m., uh, the moon is going to move into Scorpio, into its fall. So there may be some difficult thing we're experiencing because, remember, the moon in its fall is uh, a place where forms are have difficulty coming into being. There may be more about that separating quality. And then the moon is going to make a square immediately to retrograde Saturn in Aquarius. The final, I believe that is the final aspect that the moon is making to Saturn before it retrogrades back into Capricorn. And this happens at 7.01 p.m., right? So some kind of pronouncement that might, some kind of difficult news that we might be receiving on Monday that we get more clarity about on Tuesday, okay? So you could see, isn't this interesting though? So like if, I, if we see this as our chart and our horizon that we were just looking at, I got to find some new adjectives for interesting. It's just, it's just this bland word, <laughs> but you get the idea. I mean, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll go bust my thesaurus out. Fascinating interesting <laughs> so we've got the eastern horizon over here we've got the western horizon over there and then we've got you know this is the south and this is the north down here and this is our horizon line that we were looking at and over the course of the day the sun's going to rise up to that southern you know peak and then start descending over here in the west over time here's what's interesting you, you've seen me uh, show you uh, like how the ecliptic moves over time, right? That motion goes in zodiacal order. So I want to show you those two motions. Okay, so I'm going to stop my share for a minute. And so you can see over the course of the day, right? Like I was showing you here before, we have the sun rising see the sun is rising okay and then it oops and then it's going to set over there i'm going to pull out a little bit more here so you can see this happening okay there we go so and then it sets over there in the west okay now here's an interesting phenomena Oops. So you can see I'm going back in time and the sun is going over back. Okay. That that's the daily motion. That's the primary motion. Okay. See how the sun is moving? And it, all the while all the constellations are moving with it. Those are the fixed stars, right? Now, here's something interesting. If I go forward in time, let's say I go forward a month, See how we are, the ecliptic changes, okay? Let's say I go back and I just do it throughout the day, okay? You can see that the, if I go back in time, 
the sun, and then going forward in time, the sun is moving forward. This is a day at a time through the zodiac. And see these lines? Right when I get to one of the lines, that's when it gets to the sign of Leo. Okay? I'm sorry. That, um, it gets to the constellation of Leo, but this is actually the sign of Virgo in the tropical zodiac. So it matches up perfectly. So here we go. We get to uh, right here, the sign of Leo, July 20th, 2020. If we go back to our summer solstice, you'll see it match up with the line right here. There's our summer solstice where the, the declination of the sun is at its highest point. I mean, let's go to noon. You can see this. Okay. So then the sun is at really high in the sky, right? And as we go forward in time, we can see that it's starting to, at noon, it's going to start to become lower. And then here we go. We have July 20th, sign of Leo. Okay, but it's actually the constellation of Cancer. And then we go forward and we get to August 20th. We're in the, the tropical sign of Virgo, but we're actually in the uh, constellation Leo. And then when we get here to September, the equinox, right? We're getting uh, a crossing. Ah, this is fun. We're getting a crossing of the ecliptic in the celestial equator. And that's when the days become even, right? The day and the night becomes equal. And you can see how low it is in the sky, you know, in relationship to that summer solstice. And then we're moving through and we're going into the sign Scorpio right here. But we're actually seeing the, uh, okay, we're seeing the, um, there is the, the scales, okay? So you can think one, you know, the constellations are like one sign behind because of this concept called precession, which is seeing the, uh, you know, the, the, the wobble of the earth makes it appear like the zodiac and the constellations aren't, aren't matching up and they move a little bit, a few degrees every, I don't know, 72 years, like one degree or something like that. So you can see we're getting to the winter solstice and how low this, the, the sun, the path of the sun is in the sky. And here we are at the summer solstice and then we start going back up again. Okay, see how it becomes a little bit more higher in the sky? And we're going to get to the spring equinox right there. March 20th, where they cross again, the celestial equator and the uh, ecliptic cross again, and then we have e equal day and night. Super, super cool. Okay, and all this mythology, all these constellations, all these stories, they're all there. They're all there to be uh, decoded, I think. And the ancients decoded these things, and, you know, hopefully, as an astrologer, I'll get. Uh, get more information on this. I love mythology. I love getting back to the stories that we have here because I, I just, I'm a storyteller as a musician and as an artist and as a poet. That was always what I liked. And that's what I liked about astrology is kind of, you know, being able to see things through that language of the symbols. And, you know, getting reconnected with the sky like this is one of those really good um, exercises that we can do. So let's move forward here to June 30th, because I want to show you uh, what's going to be happening and talk about the fixed star Alhina. Okay, so we talked about Merzims being in alignment by ecliptical degree, but this Alhina is powerful because it is, it's even closer to the ecliptic, so it's, it's very uh, prominent in the sun's story, 
and it's very close to that conjoining at that degree at about nine. This, this is about nine degrees cancer right here. Okay. So Alhina is in the constellation of Gemini. You can see the twins here, Castor and Pollux. Okay. And Alhina is the heel of Pollux. We can physically see this as the, the heel of Pollux. And Bernadette Brady calls this one who marches. Okay. So this is the promotion of an idea, the following of a course. And she talks about um, that in this particular story, the heel of the God, okay, touched the earth. And that was a, it's sort of a, um, a good thing, but also one that kind of like uh, besmirched the God on some level. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was like a, an injury to the God. Let me read you a little thing for it because I think that her, I'll give you her exact words. Okay, so she talks about Alhina. Alhina is the star that, that, that carries both the concept of the proudly marching one and the tradition of the God with the wounded heel. The Egyptians believed at the solstice and the equinox, the sun God touched the earth and thus connected himself to the physical world wounding his heel in the process. Alhina came to represent the heel of an immortal or a sacred one who touches the earth with great pride. It is associated with the following of a cause, a belief for which one will march. This marching may bring pain at some level, but it is a pain embraced with pride and love associated with the desire to link oneself to an ideal. Okay. So in connection with the sun, this is a sense of purpose. So what we're experiencing is potentially seeing a cause or an ideal that's worth marching for. Does that sound familiar? Um, this could be something where we're seeing more protests, more marching, more people that are gathering together to uh, try to promote some sort of divine ideal where we see the, the heel of the God touching the earth where you know, we may have been living by some sort of um, rules of humanity, but those are not divine ideals. Those are not divine rules. And we can see that on this earthly plane, we may be uh, separating each other out into, into, with inequality out into different races and different economic statuses. But in the divine uh, story, you know, we are equal as souls. And, you know, coming to terms with that divine equality, regardless of race, economic status, gender, sexual preference, is, I think, the heel of the God touching the earth. And we've seen very, a lot of change happened, happening lately because of this um, willingness to speak out, to march, to gather together for that divine ideal of equity. And I think that this is going to become even louder as the sun conjoins the fixed star, Alhina. Okay. Um, yeah, just very, very cool. You can see as I'm doing this, you're seeing like satellites moving across the sky in real time. It's so cool. I love this program. This program is called Starry Night Pro 7. And I believe I bought this, you know, about a year ago, but I really just haven't been playing with it until now. Um, and if we look at in the sky, again, what, the other thing that we're going to be seeing 
is a conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto. So just Tuesday is just a, a huge day. Um, so let's see if we can find Jupiter and Pluto in the sky. Okay, it's going to be opposite. Uh, I'm going to move my chart forward because that conjunction happens at 1.46 in the a.m. So let's go back, okay, in time to 1.46 a.m. And we'll be able to see it happening in real time. Okay, so there we go, 1.46 a.m. Now it's, it's nighttime, right? And we're seeing at the very uh, top of this chart here, we have Saturn, Jupiter, and Pluto all kind of coming together right here in the sign of Capricorn. Now this area right here is the sign of Capricorn from this line to this line over, this, over the ecliptic, okay? But we see the constellation Sagittarius. So you're seeing how this works? I'm gonna, we'll just keep repeating it for, for clarity, okay? And what we're experiencing here is a conjunction between the planets Jupiter and Pluto. And eventually Saturn is, you know, coming back into the conversation here. Okay, so there's Pluto. Now Pluto isn't very visible, but we're zooming, zooming in on it. Okay, and we can see, oh, look at that. It's close to uh, a non-K. Oh, that's fun. This is so much fun. You can just see me giddy as a as like a school child with this. What isn't? What is this? Is this an asteroid? Now remember, I've talked about a non-K as in ignorance, right? And uh, we can see this. Um, well, actually, if I'm being even more specific, a non-K is what compels us to do something. Okay. And we have uh, agnoia being ignorance. So com being compelled to ignorance was uh, related to Saturn. So here we have Saturn Jup and Jupiter and Pluto coming together on this ecliptical degree. So see how Jupiter and Pluto are in the same ecliptical degree here? And they're right in the, the anus <laughs> of the centaur, <laughs> which I think is appropriate because we, you know what else is going on here? It's the south node, you know, right? The south node is in Sagittarius, you know, literally, but we're trying to get rid of stuff, okay? So we could see this conjunction happening uh, in, the, in the anus of the centaur, all right? Now, I don't know what else to say about that, except that, you know, maybe there's, you know, some symbolism with that, you know, where we're kind of getting some... Uh, an idea of what Jupiter and Pluto is asking us to do. Okay, compost something, get rid of stuff, right? Is it conjoining any fixed stars here? What's this fixed star? This is an adventure this week. Okay, I don't know. That's not, that's not anyone that I've learned a lot about yet. Okay. Well, we're going to be here all day if I keep doing this. But you get the idea, right? But you can kind of see how this works. Now there's Capricorn. Okay, there's the, the constellation of Capricorn, okay, but is in, now, the constellation of Capricorn would be what? If it's a sign 
before, this is the tropical zodiac sign of Aquarius right here. And you see Saturn's at right at the edge of Aquarius and about to retrograde back into Capricorn. All right. So let's talk about Jupiter-Pluto. Jupiter is conjoined Pluto at 24 degrees of Capricorn at 1.46 a.m. And we saw a conjunction of Jupiter and Pluto at on April 4th of 2020 at 24 degrees of Capricorn, the same degree. Um, it will conjoin again in direct motion on November the 12th, right after our election at 22 degrees Capricorn. So we associated this decan with the throne and the four of pentacles. And you could see a figure that is holding very tightly onto his coins. It's his throne of power. Um, they called this decan earthly power. Okay. And we are seeing, uh, if I refer to a book that I like by Ren Butler, the um, archetypal universe, he talks about titanic evolutionary forces, um, extreme material or spiritual ambition, abuses of power, D the moment where decay turns to fertilizer. This could be beneficial deconstruction. Um, we could have experiences that have uh, kind of contraction experiences that have a positive outcome. This could be delusions of superiority, uh, expression of corruption, or seeing it come to light. This is another thing we're experiencing. And this is um, an aspect that many astrologers, including myself, have talked about being having a relationship with the, the pandemic itself, right? With uh, you know, Pluto being indicative of, of some of these, these forces um, and Jupiter expanding them. So this is an expansion of corruption. This is an expansion potentially of abuses of earthly power um, and everything that goes along with that. And when we saw um, also an expansion of, of contraction since Saturn is what is being, is the host of all of this. So around this time, we were seeing orders trickle in, stay at home orders that were restricting our movement. And I just have a feeling that in the week ahead, we are going to see that happening again. Um, and then if we don't learn the lesson this time around, it'll happen again in November. Okay, so I, I, if you're listening to this and you're in doubt and you believe in astrology, do the hard work now. And you might not have to repeat these things. And, you know, on some level, accept the fact that you may be in these, these circumstances for a while, too, just because, you know, even if you are doing the right things, the collective may not get it for a while until December when Saturn and Jupiter come together and there's finally a shift and a, a big change. So you may just have to put your patient cap on and, and learn to come to terms with the fact that you know, you're just going to be in these challenging circumstances for a, a great period of time. Now, again, can you see like these planets are all aligned on the ecliptic too? Pretty cool. Pretty darn cool. Okay. So that's what we're going through with Jupiter and Pluto. Um, so there is going to be, you know, Saturn's going to be joining the discussion on July 1st. Okay. So that will help us move forward.
Now, let's go back to our chart for a second here. Hopefully you're following along. Hopefully this is a good addition to the thing. Um, I think it's neat. So let's go forward to, uh, where are we at here? Let's go to Tuesday, right? And we're talking about the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. Oops. Okay, stop. Okay. And you can see here at 24 degrees of, of Capricorn, if we're looking at it in a two-dimensional chart, that's what it looks like. Um, and it's opposing, you know, a uh, Mercury-Sun conjunction. There's so much astrology on Tuesday the 30th, just a ton of stuff. So we have uh, this Kazemi moment also, and I'll show you that when we go back to the chart. I just want to kind of flip back and forth here a little bit. Um, we have that Kazemi moment where Mercury is in the heart of the sun. And this is called the, the uh, I'm sorry, the inferior conjunction because it is, it is moving in diurnal motion in conjunction with the sun here, okay, against the grain of the zodiac. Um, that happens at 6.12 p.m. That is at 9 degrees of, of Cancer, which is conjoined with the fixed star Alhina that we just talked about, the heel of Pollux. So again, the Sun and Mercury coming together on that sign, some really important message that may cause us to start marching for an ideal, okay? That this is, this is what is going to be the, the seed of this new Mercury retrograde cycle, um, this new Mercury synodic cycle, okay? Um, and what happens when Mercury uh, becomes um, conjoined with the sun is it's getting infused with the light. It is getting infused with awareness, the light of the mind, with divinity, with new, a new sense of purpose, okay? And this purpose may be one that we end up marching for. So I want you to keep your, keep your eyes peeled for like causes where people are just going to be out in the streets because I, I think that is coming. Um, and it may be something that creates a lot of conflict with Mars, you know, square this. And with Alhina being like something where we're, we're, we're marching for something righteous, but there may be an injury involved with it. It may be violent, you know, like because the, that heel of the, uh, of the immortal touched, touched the mundane world, it sustains some kind of, some kind of, uh, I don't know, some kind of injury. So the other thing that's part of this equation is that we do have a sextile to Uranus. And this is at nine degrees of Taurus. And I believe that I have a, there's a fixed star that is close by to Uranus here on the ecliptic. What am I looking at here? Uh, I don't know. We don't want to get too much, too much stuff um, or we'll get confused. But I believe that there's a fixed star on Uranus that I was looking at and doing some research about. Um, what is it? Well, I don't know. I don't want to sit here confused about it for all, all day. Um, but Alhina is the one that we really want to keep an eye on. But just if we just look at the symbolism of 
Mercury being sextile Uranus and Taurus, you know, this could spark some kind of original thinking. This could be some innovative ideas that are new and progressive. This could also be some restlessness, some revolutionary thinking. This could be about uh, freedom of speech, expressing some kind of emotional need, questions of resources and nurturing, because we have those planets in that first decade of, of cat cancer, where we're talking about how we are being nurtured. And in that first decade of Taurus, we, we saw the five of pentacles, where we are seeing potentially a lack of resources um, and figuring out what we're going to do about it. I mean, you know, there is a potential, you, you have a potential that's ripe for rebellion from, uh, from many different sides right now, because you have people that are rebelling against an unjust policing system. You have people that are rebelling and, and uh, protesting racial inequality. You also have people that are rebelling against uh, what, what people perceive as uh, oppressive um, governmental overreach as far as, uh, you know, stay-at-home orders and things like that. You're, I have a feeling that you're going to have people starting um, as this extends, as we get into month six, seven, eight, when people's resources are really like drying up, um, they're going to start, you know, rebelling against the corporate oligarchy, which is bailing out, you know, Wall Street and all these big businesses instead of giving, you know, uh, a livable wage to the people. I mean, I read an article today about the president wants to dis dismantle um, Obamacare in the middle of a pandemic. And that's the kind of thing where people are trying to get resources. Now, say what you will about whether o Obamacare is perfect or not. But um, the fact that we have a, um, a leader that is trying to strip people of health care without a really clear plan for how to replace it in the middle of one of the biggest health crises of our lifetime um, can speak to that corruption of that Jupiter-Pluto corruption that may be, uh, I think, worthy of some kind of protest eventually uh, moving forward in the future. And like I said, many people are upset right now. There's all sorts of different um, demographics and different ideologies that are all coming together to say, we're mad. <laughs> like, and, that's, and it's just a big powder keg. That's really what we're experiencing, this powder keg with Mars and Aries for like literally the next six months. Okay, so that Kazemi moment, the rebirth of Mercury, it's going to be uh, a whole new mercurial cycle conjoining that fixed star, Alhina. It transitions from an evening star to a morning star. So we're going to be, you know, seeing a, a, a Mercury that is, you know, eventually when it emerges from under the beams, it's going to be coming out from the underworld where it was collecting all the pieces of Osiris and trying to bring something, um, you know, review the past to create something new, not to go back to the old uh, form. Um, remember, it, Osiris did not come back to life uh, it, forever. He came back to life temporarily so that he could birth something new, Horus, new vision, right? The eye of Horus, wisdom. Okay, so we were going to birth some new wisdom. Um, so that's what's going on on Tuesday. You know, the Mercury Kazemi sextiling Uranus, Jupiter Pluto conjoining. So, all of this to me speaks to um, potentially some kind of corruption coming to light, and then the people having a, a, a visceral reaction to it that is worth marching for. 
All right. So let's move forward to actually one. Yeah, let's move forward to Wednesday. And what I do want to do just before we get to Wednesday, I want to show you the Kazemi moment. So I think that is pretty neat if we're going to just kind of look at our what things look like in the sky. So our Kazemi moment, when does that happen exactly? It happens at 10.52 p.m. So let's look at June 30th, 10.52, whoops. Ten fifty-two p.m. Now this isn't going to be there. The moon is out, right? And you can see that the moon is in the constellation of Libra, but the tropical sign of Scorpio. Remember, I said the moon was in Scorpio at the beginning of the day here. Well, there it is, right in the middle of the constellation Libra. Okay. Now, if I remove the horizon line here. you'll be able to see that below the horizon where the sun is, okay, now it's gonna get a little trippy because I'm gonna get away from the horizon here. So we're kind of like looking at things upside down, okay? But you can see here, imagine this is north, this is below the horizon, it's not visible, okay? But we zoom in and we can see Mercury right here at the same ecliptical degree in the heart of the sun, right there right next to Alhina. Okay, beautiful. All right. So that I, it's just neat to see this like literally happening here. Okay. So I will clear that. So I'm going to try to go back to the horizon here so we can see this. Um, <laughs> See, this is where it gets chippy. I have to get, I have to find my horizon line again. Where are you? I'm upside down and I want to be. Okay, there's our horizon line. Okay, there's the, the moon is out. We'll back it up a little bit. And as we move forward, in time, you'll be able to see, okay, the sun will rise over here eventually. So there we go. The sun rose over here. It's still conjoined with Mercury. Now here, just here, just to demonstrate this concept, watch Mercury become the morning star rising before the sun. So if I go back in time, you could see Mercury is the evening star right here. See that? So there's our horizon line. I'll, I'll add the horizon back in. Okay, there's our horizon. Mercury is rising after the sun as we go back in time. See that? Sun's up. Mercury's not up yet. There they're coming together. Here's our Kazemi moment, June 30th. And then Mercury becomes the morning star. So I'm going forward by day, and they are separating. See that? Okay. And then Mercury is rising before. 
And eventually it'll get outside of that 15 degree range where it, it becomes visible and that becomes an important annunciation. Okay, that's a moment of announcing. Here's a, another, I believe this is a, a new moon here, okay, in Leo around that period of time, okay, when the sun and the moon are conjoined. Visible astrology, okay? So let's go back to June 30th and see our Kazemi moment here. There we go. And we move forward to July 1st. Now, what we're experiencing on July the 1st is the moon is going to be moving from Scorpio into Sagittarius at 9.20 p.m. Uh, it's the waxing gibbous phase, okay? And uh, we will see a trine from the moon to retrograde. Uh, retrograde. Hold on a second. Let's see if we can do this. Boom. And then I can put my chart over here. Can you see both of those things at the same time? Now, this might make my computer freak out. But <laughs> so if we look over here at uh, Wednesday, July the 1st, okay, now we have the moon over here in Scorpio. It'll move into Sagittarius at 9.20 p.m. We have a trine from the moon to Neptune here in the sky. Uh, we have the moon sextile Jupiter right here uh, from 21 degrees Scorpio to 23 degrees of Capricorn. Actually, it'll perfect at 23 degrees at 11.05 a.m. And then it will sextile a retrograde Pluto. Now, two non-lunar things happening is Saturn will retrograde into the sign of Capricorn at 7.37 p.m., and the sun makes its sextile, it, can, it perfects that sextile to Uranus at nine degrees. Okay. Oh, so here's the fixed stars that are conjoined with Uranus. Um, there is a fixed star at seven degrees of Taurus called Shader, uh, and there is another one called Hamal. And Shader was the promotion of ideas uh, it was the uh, in the constellation of Cassiopeia, the queen. So it talks about female sovereignty, leading with dignity. And Hamal is the head of the ram in, in the sign of Aries, which talks about forceful action. So a, a, another thing to think about is we may have some strong female leadership that comes out of this Mercury Kazemi moment. So very much keep your eye out for um, so, some strong female leaders that are leading with dignity, but really calling for forceful action. So that could be a political leader. It could be somebody that is, you know, involved in one of the movements we've been seeing. It could be, well, I don't know, around, around where I live, we have a, a female governor, Gretchen Whitmer, who's been taking some very strong stances uh, to help keep people safe in Michigan. And thank you for her, all of her efforts. And um, we're in a household that supports that woman from Michigan, as, <laughs> as the president has referred to her. Um, so, and, you know, we may see this in Congress and things like that, or, or there may be a new voice that emerges, a new female voice. Maybe, maybe, this is just an intuition I have, that maybe this is the potential moment where uh, Joe Biden announces his running mate as vice president, which is there's been a lot of, you know, uh, rumblings that he's going to pick a female vice president 
candidate. So I, I'm curious if that announcement happens around this period of time or somewhere in relationship to this Mercury cycle. Um, that may be something cool because that would be a, a pretty important feminine voice in the collective, I would say. Okay. So Saturn, again, is going to be retrograding into the sign of Capricorn right here. Okay. At 7.37 p.m. So you can see that it's going to move into that area there. And let's just take a look at the sky as we move forward. Okay. Zoom out. I'm going to be here forever doing this, but you know that by now. Okay. So here we're going to see Saturn. Where does Saturn happen at around 8 o'clock? Let's find Saturn. Okay. We've got uh, the moon over here. And we're going to see that if we go forward just even a little bit further, then we're going to have Saturn and Jupiter rise. Okay. So see how they're rising over the, over the uh, eastern horizon? Okay. So Saturn, if we go back in time, Saturn is going to rise around 11 o'clock at night. Okay. And you can see now if we zoom in, that Saturn is back in this area right here, okay, which is Capricorn. It's the constellation Sagittarius, but it is going to be moving back into the sign of Capricorn, okay? You can see this, if I move this, uh, move my dates forward, Saturn is going all the way back into this area here. See that right there. Okay. Kind of neat how that all works out. Now that that is a little funny because it doesn't look like it lines up exactly, but you know. See how it all it turns out. It's pretty close to that that line though, that grid line for knowing where the ecliptic is. So here's what I would suggest. If you want to become a good astrologer, and I'm thinking about taking a trip to a dark sky park pretty soon because I want to just see all this with my own eyes. There's a dark sky park in the northern part of the Mitten in Michigan um, that I'm curious to visit. Now, I don't know how that's all going to go with coronavirus and things like that. I don't know how safe it is to travel right now, but eventually I'll get there. And, and But wherever you're at, you can go out and look at the night sky and watch these things happen in real time. And it really can just be a really nice... Um, a really nice way to connect with the mythology and with the sky itself. All right, so if I am looking forward to, uh, well, let's not move to Thursday yet. Here's what I want to do first. On July the 1st, and I'm going to go back to where the sun is, out, okay? You can see that now the sun is in the moving into the second decan of Cancer. Now check this out. This is kind of neat too, visually. So you've got, here's the beginning of Cancer. Here's the first decan, decan one. Here is the second decan. And here is the third decan, 
okay? Those are the, uh, the 10 degree sections of the sine. So this is zero to 10 degrees. This is 10 to 20, Cancer. And this is 20 to 30 degrees, Cancer. Okay, now what's cool about this is there's different fixed stars in these different decans by ecliptical degree. So if we zoom in a little bit, I'm gonna lose my nice little drawing here, but you kind of get the idea, okay? Now in the first decan, we had those fixed stars that were associated with uh, Merzim, right? Here we had Merzim in the paw of Sirius that, that if we draw a line down here, we're gonna see it emerging right here. We have that fixed star Alhina that is in the heel in the first decan of Cancer, tropical Cancer. But when we move to the second decan as the sun is doing here, okay, we have a, a couple of other fixed stars that I wanted to really highlight. The first of which, the most important of which is Sirius. So there's Sirius like at the, you know, in the dog, the dog star there, okay? So if I hide my um, horizon again, we could see that there is the, uh, I'm gonna clear this again, whoops. Thanks for bearing with me on this. This is the first time I've used all this technology uh, in my video, so I'm just kind of getting the feel for it. But you can see that we've got this, you know, I draw these lines again. So here is the second decan of cancer or so. If we were to do this evenly, I wonder if we can even have more of a grid, but I won't bore you with that. Okay. So what we're going to do is look down this area and over here for fixed stars. So there's Alhina. Okay, here is Sirius in the first, I'm sorry, here is Mirzum. And then Sirius is going to match up with the second decan. Okay, and there's also a fixed star called Canopus. Now Canopus, Canopus is way down in the bottom. Okay, whoops. Now Canopus is part of Argo, the ship. Okay, so the, here is Argo, the constellation Argo, right here. See this? This is the, the big ship right here. And this constellation kind of skims along uh, the horizon line. It was like a ship, a great ship sailing around the horizon. So when we see it, when we see it rise, it's going to skim along. And there's this here is Canopus right here. You see how it's in alignment with Sirius and that ecliptical degree in the sun? So here, if I traced a line all the way from the sun through Sirius down to Canopus, that's part of our story, okay? So I've talked about Sirius, and Sirius is part of that second decan of cancer. Now, Canopus is interesting because Canopus, Bernadette Brady calls the dominant leader uh, Canopus was the navigator of the Argo, and that ship was used to carry the dead to the underworld. So this, is, uh, this ship is associated in mythology with Noah's Ark. Um, this was, uh, there are many other ships in other cultures that 
um, were important to their cultural mythology. Um, and it rises close to the horizon in the east and travels from the east to the west. So around the, in northern latitudes, that's how it will be visible. And this, is, this could be associated with leadership that is inspirational or could potentially be dictatorial. So this is one of the things she talks about is that strong leadership um, as the navigator of the Argo, trying to figure out where we're going. Um, and Sirius was that quest for immortality. So this is where we're, you know, the ship is returning from the underworld here or, or going to it. Um, and we may be seeing it emerging from the underworld when it becomes visible in the sky. That's what Hamlet's Mill, that book is all about, is seeing constellations rising in the east and culminating, seeing them, you know, descend into like and disappear from the ecliptic. Uh, seeing their relationship to the pole stars. That's how we got a lot of our cultural mythology. That's the, that's the thesis of that book, is a lot of stories that we take for granted mythologically are based on these celestial observations. Um, Austin Coppock calls this Deccan of Cancer the walled garden. Um, it has associations with the Three of Cups in our tarot deck. And in the Three of Cups, we can see the Three Graces. Okay, we have um, also called the Charities. The in white, we have Aglaia, who was the, the shining one. In the red, we have uh, Euphorocene, which was joy. And in gold, we have Thalia, which was about blooming. Okay, so we have like this radiance, this joy, and then this blooming mirth, you could call it. And it's all these qualities of charisma. And these Graces were the attendants of the Olympian gods. They were like uh, nurturing, like nursemaids that were bringing them things. They were the ones that bathed Aphrodite to cleanse her. And, and so there, there are things that were lending support, that were uh, helping things to grow to fruition. So this second decan, which is of the nature of Mercury and Mars, which I find is interesting, but this is in, in the... Uh, decanic system and in the tarot system we have a story we had the union at the second at the two of cups the first decan of cancer the union of two cups and you know here you know what we see in the sky if we're looking at this in the sky in that first decan of cancer uh we have the union of the twins here right we have the two twins that are coming together and we are coming together for like the a a birth moment, the union of body and soul. Um, remember, in the theme of Mundi, Cancer was on the ascendant, which talked about the the union of the the eternal soul with the mundane body. Okay, and we're thinking about what are we going to give birth to in the first decade, and how do we nurture it? How do we gather resources to to nurture something important like a baby or like a, a human life? And in that second decan, we're going to be, it's like the, you can think of it as we have this meta kind of experience. Like we have the first decan of a sign is kind of cardinal where we're initiating the energy where we're saying, what is the story going to be about? And the second sort of fixed area of a sign, we have uh, kind of the stabilization of that energy. So here we're, we're stabilizing nurturance and we're, we're figuring out how to make something grow into fruition. And then in that third decan, we have that four of cups, 
where we may have brought something to fruition and then we are dealing with an excess and re refusing the, the, the cup of God here and saying, what are we doing with this thing that we, we, we have this abundance that we are experiencing in this second decan. How are we, um, how are we dealing with it now? What are we going to do with those resources? And we'll get to that when we get to the third decan of, of cancer, but there's a story that goes through with all of these. So this particular time may be a time of celebration, maybe a time where we, you know, we, we have like the 4th of July in America where we're, everybody's outside barbecuing and generally there's some time for relaxation and partying. Now, the, the downside of this happening in this particular year is we have this huge stack up of crap in Capricorn that is really making it very difficult for us to do the enjoyment, the like relaxation, the celebration that we normally do at this time of the year. And we have this square from Mars that's also making it a, a little bit of a tension uh, experience. So this isn't going to be a normal summer. And, I, and I, again, I will say I empathize with and I mourn with you for the loss of some of the traditions that we may be, you know, used to having um, as a as a community. But I think that if we are able to temporarily let go of some of those things for a greater good, for a greater change, um, I would think of it this way. Can you give up one summer celebration so that you have 15, 20, 30 more in the future? Or are you going to be so stubborn about it that you are going to say, I'm going to do this no matter what, and you end up getting sick or, or someone that you love ends up getting sick and you don't have any more celebrations with them. And those are the questions that we're asking right now, and those are the choices that we're having to make, the hard, hard choices. So I, again, I, I mourn with you the loss of some of those things right now. All right, so that's Wednesday, July the 1st, uh, and with Saturn moving back into that third decan of Capricorn, you know, it's going, to, it's going to be there for a while. It's going to station direct on the 29th of September. It's making multiple squares with Mars over the course of the summer. And it doesn't leave Capricorn again uh, until the 17th of December. And I really think that that's when we may start to get some relief as it makes contact with Jupiter in Aquarius. So we have the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction where we have the passing of a, the old guard to the new guard. Um, on that at that period of time that, and that's a really big deal because um, ancient mundane astrologers talked about succession stories with Saturn the old king to to Jupiter kind of the upstart right the, the prince and we're seeing a, a Jupiter Saturn conjunction in a new element in the air element for the first time uh, sans one outlier in 1982 or something like that in Libra for the first time and for the continuing times in air signs for the next 200 plus years. So it's a big, it's a big cultural shift. A big, there is, there is no going back. This is a new, a new era, a new paradigm that we're experiencing. Um, all right. So let me share my chart again here and let's talk about Okay, you can still see it, I, I hope. <laughs> okay, I don't know why you can see it, but you can't. Okay, so we are seeing now, as I move forward, 
I'm going to move forward to Thursday, July the 2nd. And on Thursday, July the 2nd, um, the moon will be in Sagittarius and it's waxing gibbous phase. Uh, the, the moon will be trining Mars at 1.34 a.m. from 2 degrees of Aries to 2 degrees of Sagittarius. So you can see here in our two-dimensional chart. And then it will be making an opposition to a newly direct Venus at 6 degrees of Sagittarius to 6 degrees of Gemini at 8.01 a.m. So a little bit of a quieter day in the sky on uh, Thursday the 2nd. Um, no non-lunar aspects perfecting on that day. So that being said, let's move forward to Friday, July the 3rd. On Friday, July the 3rd, the moon will still be in Sagittarius in that waxing gibbous phase. You can see that it's gaining in light here. I'm sorry. It, no, it's not. It's uh, wait. Yes, it's gaining in light. Sorry, I'm getting confused in my directions now. Um, it is still gaining in light as it moves towards that opposition. It will be making a square to retrograde Neptune at 9.05 a.m. at 20 degrees of Sagittarius to 20 degrees of Neptune. I'm 20 degrees of Pisces, Neptune. Retrograde Neptune at 9.05 a.m. Now, one of the things that we are experiencing on Friday, July 3rd, is that the moon will be going under the bond at about 9 p.m. Now, you remember me discussing that that is a moment of phosis where, or a moment that is speaking when the moon goes under the bond and when it comes out of the bond. This is kind of, you know, the moon going into that dark phase, uh, that hidden phase where it's getting that new divine assignment, right? So you could see here at about nine o'clock, the moon is going to be... Uh, at about 27 degrees of Sagittarius and is going to be about 15 degrees away from that opposition point, which is going to be at 13 degrees of Capricorn eventually. Okay, So we're adding that two or three degrees to that. So we have that. That is the moon under the bond. And that's a period of time where we it's difficult to bring things into manifestation. We may lose energy. Um, and we are starting to get an idea about what this eclipse is going to be about. So let's talk about Saturday, and then we'll talk about the eclipse on Sunday. Okay? Still with me? This one is epic. This is an epic. This is an epic one that we're doing here. We're, already at, we're at the two-hour mark. <laughs> I'll go a little quickly, but I really like showing you the sky here. Um, okay, so let's go forward on to Saturday, July the 4th. Happy birthday, America. Get ready for change. <laughs> um, yeah, this is an intense one because we had that new moon solar eclipse right on America's sun. And now we're having a full moon eclipse here, um, a continuation of that particular cycle. So on Saturday, July 4th, Independence Day, the moon will be moving into the sign of 
Capricorn, where it is in its exile, in that waxing gibbous phase. It'll make a square to Mars at 7.27 a.m. This is Saturday, uh, July the 4th. Um, and it'll make an opposition to retrograde Mercury at 2.12 p.m. at 7 degrees of Capricorn and Cancer. It will then make a trine to Uranus at 10 degrees of Capricorn and Taurus at 6.18 p.m. So, you know, we're building, we're going to be starting to feel the effects of that lunar eclipse since the moon has moved into the sign of Capricorn and under the bond. So we're going to be, you know, feeling that, that energy, that uh, K2 energy. And, you know, you remember that in the, uh, in the East, they thought of uh, K2 as the severed body of the dragon that, where energy is going out. Remember I showed you the, the behind of Sagittarius there before? Well, this is kind of like what K2 is all about. Um, where it's composting and releasing old old forms. So eclipses, you know, lunar eclipses, full moon lunar eclipses is where energy is leaving the, the material plane and returning back to the spiritual plane. And new moon eclipses where energy is coming in. It's, it's close to the north node of the moon, Rahu, right? With that severed head where we have a hunger for something new. Here we are maybe doing something, letting go of something and getting closer. And, Here's the way you could think about it, because the people in, in Indian cultures or in Jyotisha, they were more excited. I don't know if that's the right word, but they uh, thought more highly of the South Node, because when you release material form, it gets you closer to your spirituality and gets you closer to divinity. So they were all about the South Node, whereas in Western astrology, we've been, you know, in modern evolutionary astrology, we're like, oh, move towards your north node. North node, good. South node, bad. But that's, that's not necessarily the case. Um, it, it is something where we're m moving towards material increase with Rahu and material decrease with Ketu. So if you can think about it in those terms, um, that can help you release any material form with grace and feeling like you're getting you know, connected to spirituality. Now, that can be painful. It doesn't mean that releasing a form is always fun. Um, but think about it in those terms and you know, increase your, um, I don't know, your meditation practices, your ability to connect with spirit to get you through that material change. So if I am going forward to uh, Sunday the 5th, let's just talk about this eclipse a little bit more. And I'll put it right on the hour. The eclipse is at 12.44 in the a.m., on Sunday, July 5th, right around here. Okay. And you can see that the moon is making an opposition to the sun at 13 degrees of Capricorn and 13 degrees of Cancer. So this is a big one. This is a big one. And the sun is co-present with Mercury. Mercury just made its, its inferior conjunction. We got a new message for Mercury, and Mercury's got a new, a new miss, mission to go out into the world and, and do things with. Um, it's you know, going to come out of the underworld and, and make itself known as it separates from that 15 degree under the beams type of energy, I believe in a, in a week or so maybe a week or two. I don't know the exact date of Mercury's emergence as a morning star, but it's 
it's going to happen pretty pretty quickly, maybe in the next week. And uh, yeah, but we're letting go of all this junk. Saturn, Pluto, Jupiter, the moon is asking us to let go of all these power structures, all these hierarchies, all these old systems that aren't serving anybody, but just a, a, a very select few that aren't getting with the program. And this uh, full moon eclipse has a as a square from a whole sign square from Mars and Aries, which is adding tension to the mix. And it's going to be, uh, you know, this is a very Saturnian um, eclipse, very Saturnian, because Saturn is hosting the moon and there's these pileup of planets in Capricorn here. Now, the moon is moving through the second decan of Capricorn, which in the tarot we see like a group of people trying to make a plan. So it's about getting down to business, making a plan. Austin Coppett calls that Deccan the pyramid, where we're doing a lot of hard work. Uh, and this may be where we have a very ambitious project that starts to come to light. Now he warns in this, in his book, 36 Faces, about the dangers of hubris and trying to build like a tower of Babel. Um, so this may be the, the dangers of trying to build something material when we're being asked to actually tear things down right now. Um, so maybe keep an eye out for people trying to further some kind of material agenda that is potentially self-serving or, or based on hubris or overly ambitious. So that could be part of our story that we're feeling at this eclipse here. Um, the moon will be conjoining the fixed star Vega, uh, which happened, Vega is around 15, 14 to 15 degrees of Capricorn. And Vega is part of the constellation Lyra, or the, the lyre. And I will, I will show you that here. Um, get rid of this for a second. We'll go back to our sky. Okay, and we'll go directly to our eclipse on June, July the 5th at 12. 44. So here is our, uh, the sky at our eclipse. Now this is one is going to be a bender again because it's not visible here. Oh, this is PM. Okay. There's the AM. It's got all this actions happening. Our eclipse is, it's happening when the sun's below the, uh, below the horizon. Okay. So you see, this is happening in the middle of the night, you know, down here, Okay, so I'm going to flip it around, but realize that when we're looking at this, we're, we're looking north, and this is happening underneath uh, the horizon line here. Now, if we zoom in, where are, what do we see near this ecliptic line? Okay, well, here we have the constellation. Let's find it. Is it on the other side? There it is right there. Okay, there is Vega. <laughs> this is where it gets real trippy because we, what we have to do is we have to draw this line all the way down here to find it in opposition, okay, to the eclipse. Okay, it goes all the way down here. See that? 
See how it matches up though? The, and the moon is going to be there. And the, the moon is going to be opposite the sun here on the other side of the, uh, the zodiac here. And it's definitely making me do a mind bender. Okay, but this is, here we have the opposite side. And this is the, uh, this is a sign of Capricorn right here. Okay. And we've got Vega. This fixed star is part of the constellation, the lyre. And this is an instrument. See how it is a, um, oops, where'd it go? There we go. Ah, come back. Anyway, we'll get through the end of this here. So you could see that it's an instrument that was fashioned by baby Hermes, baby Mercury out of a tortoise shell. And you can see here's the tortoise shell. There's literally the tortoise shell. So, and it's a very bright, beautiful star in the, in the, lyre, the lyre or the instrument, kind of like an ancient harp or guitar. And so th this is going to be, this is the lyre of Orpheus. And this was, you know, like I said, made from the tortoise shell by infant Hermes. And it, it was able to, they said that, that that lyre was able to enchant it was able to cast divine spells. It was associated with charisma, the magic of Orpheus, which, which could turn uh, animals that were wild and, and make them tame again. So if we, we extrapolate this out, potentially there is some kind of charismatic pacification that could be going on or some kind of divine enchanted spell that we're falling under with this, um, with this eclipse. Okay, now we're, sh we're shutting off Okay, the lunar eclipse here, right? We're shut, what are we shutting off? Uh, we are shutting off the light of the moon. So we are getting, uh, we are shutting our emotional nature down, so to speak, so that we have a little bit more of a rational experience. At the new moon solar eclipse, we were shutting down the light of the sun. So we were losing contact with like our, our rational faculties, our, with our wisdom. And in this point, we're losing, we, losing a lot of um, form, which is associated with the moon, but also we may be able to get some objectivity at a full moon lunar eclipse because we're not, you know, subject to all these unconscious whims that are bubbling up from the, that lunar experience. So there may be some, some magic in that. There may be some magic in, in being able to get a rational perspective, like with it being conjoined the fixed star Vega. Okay. The sun at this full moon is going to be conjoined Sirius and Canopus. So there's Definitely, like we've got the ship returning from the underworld. Um, we've got the guardian of the underworld hanging out with this. Uh, and we've got, uh, you know, a, a pronouncement that came earlier in the first decade of cancer. So all of this is leading to the, the narrative that we're experiencing at this full moon lunar eclipse. Now, the moon will escape the bond. I'll show you this on my chart here. The moon is going to escape the bond at about, um, well, on Monday at about 5.30 a.m., Monday, July 6th. So I'm moving into the next week, but I just wanted to show you this because it kind of gives us an idea. Now you can see that the moon is coming, uh, oops. Is going to be coming outside. I got to go forward another day. Now the moon is 
outside that 15 degree range, I somehow went to PM. So at about, let's go back to the AM here. There we go. Okay, so you can see at about 29 degrees of Capricorn, the moon will be outside of that 15 degrees of opposition. Now this is interesting because it's going to be conjoined with Saturn, but it escapes the bond just outside a few minutes of that. So I, I don't know if we're going to be considering this full moon eclipse conjoined Saturn as escaping the bond or its first aspect as being squared with Mars at four degrees of Aries. I have a feeling that since it's so close with Saturn that we're just going to be seeing a very Saturnian experience, but we could have Mars playing a role in this as well as, you know, some of that Saturnian contraction leading to that martial anger. Um, so just be aware that both of those are playing a part in the narrative of this particular eclipse story. Okay. I think that's what I've got for you this week. Thank you very much for hanging with me. I hope that this was helpful and fascinating for you. I hope to keep in incorporating um, more of the sky into what we're doing. I, I do think that this visual astrology is important. Um, coming up next week, uh, the 6th through the 12th, Mars will be making a square to retrograde uh, Mercury at six degrees of Aries and Cancer. Uh, on Saturday the 11th, Venus will be conjoining the fixed star Aldebaran at 10 degrees of Gemini. So we'll keep an eye out on that and we'll talk about Aldebaran more next week. This happened in the, uh, the forward, um, before Venus went retrograde, this happened before, um, but we'll be seeing it again. Aldebaran is associated with a test of integrity. Um, so what have we learned through that Venus retrograde period? We'll see. And then on Sunday the 12th, Mercury stations direct at five degrees of Cancer. Um, and the sun will be making a trine to retrograde Neptune at 20 degrees. And then the sun will move into the third decan of Cancer. And we'll talk about all the fixed stars associated with that particular decan. And then the last aspect on Sunday the 12th will be the moon making its last quarter square from Aries to Cancer. So that's, that's the astrology I've got for you this week. Um, hope you are all doing well. And hanging in there, I know it's going to be a, a little bit of a rough couple of weeks, but I know that you can do it. Um, and if you need some help, feel free to reach out for a, a reading or if you need, you know, if you have some questions, leave some questions in the comments. I'd be happy to answer a question quickly. If it's more has to do with your specific chart, it's always best to kind of reach out and schedule something. It's a great way to support my work too. I'm also been getting a few like uh, hoary questions that I've been working on uh, you know, practicing that technique. Again, that technique is fairly new to me, so bear with me on that. But if you have something quick that you want answered, that can be a good way to do it too. Um, and yeah, I've got a, a few things coming up in the hopper as well. I'll be, I'm going to be talking about the tarot and the decans and the Thema Mundi at the Great Lakes Astrology Conference that is going to be online um, on July 9th through the 13th. So you can sign up at greatlakesastrology.com. My uh, talk is going to be on Friday morning Eastern time, I think 10 o'clock in the morning Eastern time um, on the 10th. So, so mark your calendars for that if you want to catch it live. And uh, you can sign up at that website. I believe also the, the Queer Astrology Conference is going on in the same weekend, so maybe you can um, do double duty with that. 
And uh, yeah, and if you like these videos, make sure you click in the subscribe button, share it with your friends. Um, there's donation links if you want to support the work that I do financially. And uh, I hope that you're having a great, um, a great 4th of July and celebrating with your family and friends as much as you can. Um, there are different ways to connect. You can connect through, through Zoom meetings and stuff like that. That's, I know it's not perfect, but it might be a good compromise uh, that'll be responsible, but also connecting with the ones that you love. Just because we are um, physically distancing from one another doesn't mean that we necessarily have to socially distance. It means that we can connect in other ways. We can connect through all this new technology and, and through a phone call and through uh, connecting online and things like that. If that is the, if you have resources like that, and so so make sure you're checking in on the people in your life. Just to recognize that you don't have to be together physically to be together in your heart and to be together in your spirit. So that's what I'll leave you with this week. And um, take care, everyone. Peace.